Well, hello and welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler and joining me as always is Robbie Sherry. And we're here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. Robbie, today is kind of part two of our conversation about peacemaking. And we talked last time about this word shalom and how it conveys more than a sense of just the cessation of conflict, more than just sort of the absence of warfare. It's it's really about wholeness. It's really about completeness. It's really about unity. It's really about integration. And, you know, so I want us to kind of take that conversation a little bit deeper this time. We talked last time about, again, war and some of those kinds of things, our war with God, our war with ourselves, our war with one another. Let's go a little bit deeper now. Let's talk about what it means to be whole. Let's talk about what it means to be complete. Let's talk about what it means to be integrated, because I think we live in a world, I don't think, I know we live in a world that is doing all it can to disintegrate whether it's disintegrate our relationships, or if you are dissatisfied with your spouse, then Mm -hmm. just, you know, just shut it down. Like, Get a divorce, move on, right? If you are dissatisfied with your children, yeah, just cut them out of your life, you know? I mean, just move on, like those kinds of things. Right. Uh, if you don't like your job or if you if they don't appreciate you, then move on. Uh, no sense of loyalty there. Quiet you know, the, the, Yeah, quiet quit, right? Like, like, like that, there's a great example, the quiet quitting phenomenon that's like, what in the world are we even talking about, right? Or even like within ourselves, right? I mean, if you don't like like what you see in the mirror, on some level, then disintegrate, like change it, like Mm -hmm. identify as someone else or something else or whatever it might be. You know, the whole gender fluidity and, you know, all of those kinds of things. These are all ways that the world is pushing us to disintegrate. And over and against that, Jesus is calling us to integrate. He's calling us to be whole. He's calling us to this life of completeness before him where we submit everything that we are, body, mind, soul, heart, all of that to the Lord. And that has been a consistent call throughout the scriptures. You go all the way back even to the Shema, the, the, the fundamental confession for Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says that's the greatest commandment, of course. Mm-hmm. And so really, it is this call to become whole before the Lord. But again, we're living in a world that where the pressure is centrifugal. It's pulling us apart mm. in so many different ways. And so how, how do you, Robbie, raising your kids, raising a family, your kids are in college, finishing up high school, just like mine. How have you sought, you and your wife, to be peacemakers even in your own home? Peacemakers with your family. Let's go that direction, maybe. Let's kind of maybe get a little personal. And yeah. yeah how is that? How, how have you done that? What's worked well? What hasn't worked well? It's a great question. For the record, we don't prepare what we're going to say before no, we get I into know. this. So I, I just, I just like to be a little off guard, yeah. but I actually yeah. I love the question. Yeah. That was a little um, screwball off the mound there. I was it's like, it's perfect. You know, yeah, like, it's perfect. Well, you, yeah. said, you said in the last episode, the idea of being a peacemaker has to start with being at peace with God yep, right. and then right. yourself. Mm-hmm. And so Sarah and I, we decided early on in our marriage that God has to be number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad modeled this for me to sign notes like your number two man. Like I never want the number one spot in your heart. I oh, want, that's I want to be number two. That so is interesting. I'm always yeah. her number your two man. Your dad legitimately signed his notes that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. man. Yeah, that's legit. Um, so I've, I've always tried to... Where does that make re- me? I'm like number... Three or four for your for your wife. I yeah. hope you're number no, two. No, no, for you, man. For you, for <laughs> oh, you. Yeah, yeah. You're no. you're you're solid on the list. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> on the list. Fantastic. You so, made the top sixty-four. Seriously. It's March Madness. You, you, yeah. you know, you made the top sixty-four. Unbelievable. You were on the bubble, but you know, you got in playing <laughs> You'll game. Play in. You you and you 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 beat the priest. You know. <laughs> 
So <laughs> that was the play in bracket. You and the priest, and you made it in. So. <laughs> so Sarah and I, when it comes to raising our kids and being peacemakers in the home, one of the things, and I don't know where I learned it from, but it was, it was in everything. Our, our mantra is, is in everything, chase our kids' hearts. Hmm. That was it, always. Wow. Just, just chase their hearts. Yeah. Um, because people want to know if you're going to be a corporal punishment kind of, yep. per, you know, are you going to be the, the spanker or mm-hmm. uh, we got what was affectionately known as the wooden spoon growing yep. up in my house, right, right, uh, right. cup side in by the way. Cup. And Ooh, okay. okay. Or, or are you going to be a, a timeout family? I right. mean, things you don't really think about a whole lot when you're That's dating right. is okay. What if my child actually disobeys me? Right. How what, am I going to handle it? What will my response be? Sure. And so we, we had some long conversations about, I don't know that it's the method mm-hmm. so much, uh, you know, the, or the end all punishment, mm-hmm. but it's, it's our heart in yeah. chasing their hearts. Cause ultimately what we want to do is course correct their heart towards right. Christ, whatever that right. is. So it's in, in discipline. Uh, we decided it was really good for our, our kids to not, we didn't argue in front mm-hmm. of our kids. If we had it, if we needed to go at it, we would, you know, go to our bedroom and, and shut the door. We thought it was always important for our kids to see us apologize to one mm-hmm. another yep. when they had seen the wrong. My parents always talked about. So let me ask this. So yeah. you didn't argue in front of your kids, but yeah. yet you always apologize in front of your kids. So would you go behind the door, argue, and then come out and be like, Sarah. I'm sorry. No, usually the, the like how'd that work? The public apology was if I had said something, <laughs> no, you know, in, in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Usually it was like the the passing comment or something know, like that, I and know, I go, guys, I got to apologize. Yeah, to you were you were short with her or something sure. like that, or she was short with you, and whatever, even yeah. the kids. Yeah, like yeah. if there was right. something right. that I had done right. and, that was wrong to the kids, they mm-hmm. needed to hear me if it was them personally, and the mm-hmm. others needed to see me. Yeah, model that apologize yep. to the kids. So. Which, Those by the way, is, is peacemaking, right? Like asking for forgiveness, apologizing, humbling ourselves. Yeah. These are all ways, if, you, if you're out there and you're listening, you're thinking, well, like, okay, like, I get it. Like, be a peacemaker. Like, how do I actually make peace? This is, like, fundamentally, I think, where it starts. Like, yeah. be humble. Mm-hmm. Be quick to ask for forgiveness. Be quick to say, I'm sorry. Be quick to apologize. Be yeah. quick to reconcile. Put your arms around someone that you love whom you've hurt. Because, yeah, you were too short with them or you said an unkind word or something happened. You got angry, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Like, be that kind of person and you will be a peacemaker, at least in your family. Right. right? And so we, I mean, the example was the apology thing. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we'd watch it in our friends where there were, they would call them their magic words. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't forget your magic words. The magic words are please, thank mm-hmm. you, sorry. Mm-hmm. And so if you said one of the magic words, you were kind of okay. And I... I saw this in young people. I mean, being a school teacher, sure, you yeah. see sort of down the road right. like things of parenting, and so you have to you have to walk those things back. So we right. taught our kids, you don't get to just say I'm sorry. Yeah, you don't get to say you know sorry, brother, for hitting you. Right. Please forgive me. Like yeah. that. That actually what doesn't about, work. What about I'm sorry you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm yeah, sorry the boomerang apology. Yeah, no, is, so that, we, is that a legit apology? <laughs> no, we talk, is that what we're talking about when we say peacemaking. That, that is not it at all. I'm sorry you didn't like what I had to say. Right. Yeah. The the passive aggressive yeah. apology. No, I'm we sorry. Him, that's a you problem. <laughs> we taught them how to articulate what yes, it was right. they were sorry for. Yeah. Say, man, that. I said some things that mm-hmm. I know stung, and I did so because I knew they would. St- they would sting because yeah. I was hurt by this and that wasn't the right course. I'm sorry. Would mm-hmm. you forgive me? Yeah. That for, is just a different way of apologizing totally. than what the world says. And so those kinds of things sort of stack up. That's, that's how we sought peacemaking. Yeah. It was home. interesting. I don't know if you saw this uh, just, just the other day, a judge was invited to speak at Stanford law school. 
goes in, and because of the judge's political views, the the students in the room were protesting okay. and wouldn't let him speak. Like as soon as he opened his mouth, they're heckling him, catcalling him. Couldn't he couldn't get his remarks out right? So he asks for a dean to come in. The dean comes in and begins to like attack the judge as well, right? Well, this is like a huge black eye because this hmm. is like Stanford Law School. Wow. Like I mean, these are supposedly like like the elite law students yeah. in our country and they can't even handle an opposing view. Oof. Right. And so, so the Stanford sort of the head of Stanford has to issue an apology, right. To this judge who's right. like, not like a small time judge. I mean, like this person sits like on like the fifth circuit court of appeals, like right. one step below the Supreme court. Yeah. Right. But again, because of the particular political views of this person, right, was not allowed to speak, was treated just terribly, right? It was like a setup. It was, it was, it was totally bogus. You mm-hmm. watch the video, it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's so embarrassing for, for Stanford Law School. Yeah. And so the head of Stanford Law School issues this like apology, non-apology, right? This letter that's like, basically like, I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. I'm sorry you felt that way, or I'm sorry. And it's like, wow, I teach my two-year-old how to apologize better than the head of Stanford Law School because our world just doesn't apologize. Like, to your point, mm-hmm. our world doesn't apologize for anything. Right. We, we don't do it. Our political leaders don't do it. Our cultural leaders don't do it. Even if they get caught doing something. That's true. They don't apologize. I remember one of my they most disappointing it. moments. I was a pretty new believer. I'm watching the presidential debates. I'll never forget this. And George W. Bush is up there. And he's running for a second term. Mm-hmm. And they ask him a question. Now, now this gets asked almost every single president, you know. But they ask him, are there any mistakes in your first term that you look back and have regrets and want to apologize for? And he's like, no. Wow. And I'm like, how can that be? Now, I get it. Like, real politics, practicality, you don't want to give your opponent red meat to come after mm-hmm. you. Like, I, I understand all that on some level, but I was so disappointed because I'm thinking to myself, come on, there's got to be mistakes that you regret right? and wish you could go back and change. Like, come on, like, just be honest with us. But mm-hmm. we, we, as a people, will not allow our politicians, we will punish our politicians if they admit their they make mistakes. So I don't actually don't blame George Bush. I blame the guy in the mirror. Right. I blame a guy like myself who, who will punish on some level people who do that. And yet here I am trying to like help my kids understand like, look, it's not enough to say, I'm sorry. You need to take it the next step and ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Cause now you're placing yourself. When you do that, you're placing yourself at the mercy of that other person because they can either grant that forgiveness or not. Yeah. They don't have to. Totally. And, and so you're really making yourself vulnerable and that's how we make peace in our home. And it, yeah. it is, it's just radically different than how the world does it. And it's, I'm not picking on George W. Bush. Every politician since then has been asked that same question. And every single one of them has given, by the way, the same answer, Democrat or Republican. No, I don't have any regrets. Right. You know, and it's like, come on, like, what are we, <laughs> what are we teaching our folks? What are we, what, what kind of culture are we creating in our world today where you don't have to apologize for any mistake you've ever made? That's true. I mean, it is baffling. Yeah, you, you don't wanna... apologize. You you provide an excuse. Correct. You provide a a you blame rational right. reason for why right. something didn't go the way right. you realize later that it was supposed to. Right. But yeah, teaching your children I to mean, put those words at the end of the statement and coming up with the reasoning right. beforehand is such a key thing. I think in, right. in cultivating 
tomorrow's leaders. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about maintaining a perpetual state of conflict between people or between nation states or between communities. Yeah. Never apologize. Well, that's, that would be like the, that's like item number one on how to perpetuate conflict. If I want to be a war maker versus a peacemaker, the very first thing I should do is never apologize. (laughs) You think Satan has a a list of objectives? He absolutely does. Just like God does, right? Just like we're talking about, like, how do you make peace? Yes. Satan has his list of, yeah, here's how we make war. You know, sends his kind of minions out to like, you know, speak in our ear. Like, hey man, never apologize. You know, never do this, never do that. Don't, don't give your, you know, never be vulnerable. Don't, don't give people an opening, you know, to come after you, blah, 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 blah. And we convince ourselves that he's right. Right. And, and so is it any wonder then that we live in this perpetual state of conflict, hmm. this perpetual state of disintegration as a society, as a culture, where we can't, we can't even come together. Why? Because for me to cross the aisle is for actually, that's for me, and we'll talk about this maybe in a couple of weeks, but you know, that means I'm going to have to like actually love my enemy. Oh. And w- what are you even talking about there? Right. Right. And like that, surely that can't, Jesus can't be serious when he says that. Right? And don't I mean, call him surely. And don't call him surely. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, I right. I mean, it's crazy. So true. And but, it's, it goes back to, do we believe the way of Jesus is better or not? And I mean, surely any objective observer of just human behavior and human society has to conclude Christian or not, that we don't know what the heck we are doing as a race. Yeah. The human race has been in conflict from day one, Cain and Abel, according to the Bible. Mm-hmm. But even if you're not a Bible believer and you're just a secularist out there and it's just history, human history, we have been in a state of perpetual conflict for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. We cannot figure it out. And so, sh- again, surely, not, not the person... I can't even now think of the other word I want to use there, but yeah, you've made me self-conscious, but like, yeah, surely we have on some level, we have to acknowledge again, something is broken at the right. heart of who we are. And we've had thousands of years to figure it out. And we are no closer. Mm-hmm. If anything, we're actually further away. Right. Well, you're talking about disintegration and I tell my students this all the time. If I think Satan has an awareness mm-hmm. that he's defeated. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going from a biblical perspective, when Jesus yeah, encounters yeah. demons, yeah. you know, they have an awareness that there's a That's time right. that all of this is ending. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's what the Bible it, says, yeah, right? They're, they, they're, they're on believe. the losing they side know. of right. things. Yes. So, you know, I ask my students, if you know you've lost something, you, you know whether mm-hmm. you're in the basketball game right. or you're, you know, what typically happens when the team is getting just blown out mm-hmm. And there's no hope. You start to see the cheap fouls. Right. You start, you start to see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I said, so from Satan's perspective. Below the belt. Yeah. yeah. What uh-huh. is he going to do? With the knowledge that he's already defeated, well, he's going to create division. Right. He's going to create this disintegration. Right. And it, it, I don't think it comes massively hitting all of us. So we go, wait a sec. This is divisive. It's right. all these subtle things. It's, I don't know how many people get together and sit around a table. My friend Jim talks about how knees under the table time is actually exponential time when it comes to relational e- mm. equity. Sharing a meal yeah. just does something. But we don't have time yeah. to share meals together. Right. We've got all kinds of allergies now yeah. that some people say you can't 
you can't share meals because these people can't eat this or these people can't eat this. And we're not willing to make space for those people. Yeah. I mean, you just see all, all the little things start to add up. And so rather than being unified or, Mm -hmm. or being able to come together, we just, we, we come up with catchy phrases like, well, we'll agree to disagree. Right. And we just, we divide, we, we pull apart. And so if we're going to be peacemakers, we have to, like what you said, bridge that gap. Yeah, we have to bridge that gap. And that's going back maybe to the last point that Jesus makes here. He says, those who do make that peace, they're going to become called sons and daughters of God. So mm-hmm. now let's, we've correctly diagnosed the world and the issues there. Robbie, um, into this broken world that is so deeply conflicted, like God's not blind to any of this. God sees it all. He knows it all watches it go by, stands outside of time and space, sees it all really probably laid out all at once, mm-hmm. sees all of the conflict that the human race has ever created and will ever create right in front of him. And into that world, he sends Jesus, number one, but then he sends the, his adopted sons and daughters. Right. And when we talk about being salt in this world, when we talk about being light in this world. That, I think, is what God is referring to. That's what Jesus is referring to when he uses those words. He says, look, I'm sending you out into a world that is at war, and I'm sending you out among a people who are at war, war with themselves, war with one another, and your job is not to call balls and strikes. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's left? Who's right? You know, any of those kinds of things align with one particular position or uh, over another or anything like that. Your job is to make peace, real peace, Mm. true peace, the peace that only can come through Jesus Christ. And that means proclaiming the truth, right? Yep. But doing it in love. That means loving broken people without affirming the very things that are making them broken. Wow, yeah. It means coming alongside those who are sick and helping them find healing rather than stay in a state of perpetual sickness by holding on to their hurt or holding on to their whatever the pain that's been created in their life. It means coming alongside people and helping them open their eyes to the fact that you can actually choose a different way in this world. You don't have to be a victim. You don't, you're not at the mercy of your circumstances. You're not at the mercy of your genetics. I was talking to a friend of mine last night about this and he was like, well, I may have this genetic deep uh, predisposition towards X. Right. And I was like, maybe you do, maybe you don't. You're, you don't actually know one way or the other. And even if you do, that doesn't mean you are at the mercy of it. Hmm. That is not a popular opinion. You, you don't, you know, like you don't have to, you, you don't have to be at the mercy of it. I mean, I think about someone like a, a Joni Erickson Tata. Mm-hmm. She is a quadriplegic, right? Or Correct. paraplegic. No, she's a quadriplegic, a quadriplegic right? Neck down. Massive accident. But that woman is not at the mercy of her injury. Yeah, for the background, she was a... <laughs> She used to ride horses. When yeah, she was very active. 13, as I believe. a teenager, she just yeah. did a service dive under the water on the East Coast and yeah. comes up, can't really, she can kind of shake her shoulders. I've seen her speak. Right. And she de- develops a ministry called Johnny and Friends, right. JAF Ministries. That's right. And she paints with a 
paintbrush in her mouth. In her mouth, yeah. And she has prisoners restore and refurbish wheelchairs yeah. and sends them to impoverished nations that, yeah. you know, people groups right. that can't afford yeah. them. And her ministry is yeah. just far wide now, reaching. she's not going to get out of the wheelchair and walk around. So in that sense, you might say, oh, well, she is, quote unquote, at the mercy of her injury because she's sort of wheelchair bound. But she's clearly not at the mercy of her injury. Correct. She has made other choices in her life. Um, I've talked to folks who are, you know, growing up in families where there's addiction, mm-hmm. right? Alcoholism, uh, drug abuse, whatever it might be. And they're like, well, of course I, I became an addict. It's like, well, no, no, not of course. Your path was not predetermined for you. Mm-hmm. Again, you might have a predisposition towards an addiction like alcohol, something like that. That doesn't mean that you have to drink. Right. Nor does it mean you have to act like a, a, a dry drunk. Mm-hmm. If you don't drink, I mean, so, so many people who, you know, they don't maybe use the substance, but they still act like they do. They still, you know, they still exhibit yeah. all those addictive behaviors. Like you don't have to do that. You can choose a different path empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can be set free from the patterns of this world and the things that, you know, the world might say, oh, well, you know, of course your path was set. No, 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 it's never set. It's never that predetermined. We can choose to transcend our circumstances. I see it all the time overseas with people that live in just backbreaking, life-threatening poverty. They may never leave their village, but let me tell you, they are not trapped. Well, the key thing you said there was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that speaks to the second half of this verse of yeah. being called sons of God, because yeah. of your own effort, volition, will, trying harder, you're probably not going to be set free right, from right. that, that's that right. thing that's, that's enslaved you. And you and I are talking about this. What a freedom there exists when right. you have sonship or daughtership in Christ, mm-hmm. which means you have made peace with him. And so doing, you've received the spirit and made peace with yourself. And so the Bible says, now you are free. You're in the family, so to speak. Right. Um, so you're not enslaved. Right. Your slaves don't have freedom. They're, right. they're, at the beck and call of, of whatever's entrapped them, right. whatever's enslaved them. I mean, in this case, it's your own, the desires of your flesh. That's right. Right? But when you receive the peace that comes from God by receiving the Spirit, well, now you're, you're totally free. Mm-hmm. So like you said, when you have that, the Spirit within you, this grace-driven effort, this yes. Holy Spirit-empowered yeah. ability, you don't have to cave to whatever whatever predisposition you might That's have, right. there is, there is the choice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, I'm, I'm thinking of that line. I'm not going to get it right, but I'm, I'm thinking of that line that, uh, from that poem. And I can't remember the name of the poem off the top of my head, but it's that line that talks about the thing that we're afraid of, mo- of most is that we are more powerful than we could ever imagine. Hmm. Like we, we're more powerful than we could ever think through the Holy spirit. We've been, yeah. we've been given power and authority more than we could ever know. And, and, and that's our issue. Our issue is we don't step into that. Our issue is we don't live into that. And that doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean that all your suffering is going to end. It doesn't mean that it, you, might, you might find yourself in the same condition that you're in, but again, you're no longer enslaved to it. You're mm-hmm. no longer defined by it. We had a, a woman recently uh, passed away in our church family who, you know, had had a stroke many, many years ago, but she refused to let that define her. And she and her husband had a, a joy-filled life together. Was it mm. limited than what it could have been? Of course. 
because physically she just couldn't do the things that she did before. But in some ways, it was even more joyful because of just the, just the joy that radiated from this woman. She's incredible gal. And now she, of course, has been made whole in the presence of Christ. But just unbelievable, right? And so, again, we have choices to make. And this particular woman made an amazing choice. She made a choice to live by faith mm-hmm. and not be defined by her circumstances. And that's what made her a daughter of God. And everybody that met her knew that about her. Yeah. Everybody that met her could see there's something about this woman they'd ask, and she would tell them, it's Christ. It's Christ yeah. in me, the hope of glory. And and that's what made her a daughter of God. And that's why I think Jesus says, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall become sons and daughters of God. You know, Robbie, next time we're going to get into those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and um, that they receive the kingdom of heaven. But I think these two you know, I think all of these are tied together, of course, but I think these two in particular are tied together because if you really have experienced the freedom that God offers you in Jesus Christ and you have been adopted into God's family, you are now called a son or a daughter of God, then that's going to set you apart. Mm-hmm. That, that's going to uh, make you different. And you may face persecution, depending on where you live in the world, you may face persecution as a result of that. But again, you're not going to let that persecution define you. You're, you're not going to let it enslave, you know, like the, the experience of that, like intimidate you, enslave you, knock you back. Instead, you're going to transcend that because, again, your primary identity is, is that you're part of God's family. Um, well, thanks as always to Jake, our guy behind the glass, making us sound good. Jake and Billy, our guy putting these podcasts together and getting them online. Please keep listening as we dive deeper into what it means to follow Jesus in the weeks ahead. We'd love your comments and your reviews and love for you to share with your friends on whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcast. Stay tuned and stay subscribed as we release more episodes coming up. We'll talk to you next time.